the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. I don't know about you. I assume that you have the same struggles that I do in praying for other people. You find it challenging, at least I do, I find it challenging to know how to pray for others. For example, Sometimes I'm too vague in my prayers. I'm too indefinite. I'm too general. Maybe you struggle with that. You just say things you think, what am I really saying? What am I really praying? I'm just throwing out general things that are so general I wouldn't even know if God answered. Other times I find that I'm too focused on material or physical needs, and that's all I'm praying about, somebody's health, somebody's finances, somebody's job situation, and it just seems to be so physical. Other times, I find that I'm praying only during a crisis. I mean, I don't pray for these people other times. It's just whenever it's a desperate crisis. And then the crisis passes, and I just forget about it. Other times, I struggle with knowing, is this really God's will for them? I mean, if somebody, for example, is sick, how do I know if it's God's will to raise them up? I don't always know that. Maybe it's God's will that they be sick the rest of their lives. I mean, God does things like that. Maybe it's God's will that he heals them. Maybe it's God's will that they die. I don't know, and I struggle with that. It's time again for Verse by Verse, and we want to welcome you to the first in a series of messages titled, The Incomparable Christ, taken from the book of Colossians. You know, I like the way Pastor Steve is getting started in this series, and that is with prayer. As we look at the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Colossians in today's program, we will see a prayer that is, it's not general, it's very specific. Paul knew what God wanted in the Colossian believers' lives. His prayer for the Colossians was a prayer that focused on spiritual blessings and not physical blessings. It's a prayer that was ongoing and not a crisis-oriented prayer. It was also a prayer that was definitely God's will for their lives. You will find some very practical applications regarding prayer in today's Verse by Verse. Here is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We started a few weeks ago a verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, known as Colossians. And I'd like to read his prayer, beginning in verse 9, going through verse 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously, 
giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, basically, these verses that I just read to you tell us two things. They tell us, number one, how Paul prayed for the Colossian believers. They also tell us why Paul prayed for the Colossian believers. That kind of sums it up. That's the gist of it. How and why Paul prayed for these people. But beyond this, these verses give us tremendous insight as to how we can pray for other Christians. I don't know about you. I assume that you have the same struggles that I do in praying for other people. You find it challenging, at least I do, I find it challenging to know how to pray for others. For example, sometimes I'm too vague in my prayers. I'm too indefinite. I'm too general. Maybe you struggle with that. You just say things you think, what am I really saying? What am I really praying? I'm just throwing out general things that are so general I wouldn't even know if God answered. Other times I find that I'm too focused on material or physical needs, and that's all I'm praying about, somebody's health, somebody's finances, somebody's job situation, and it just seems to be so physical. Other times I find that I'm praying only during a crisis. I mean, I don't pray for these people. Other times it's just whenever it's a desperate crisis. And then the crisis passes, and I just forget about it. Other times I struggle with knowing, is this really God's will for them? I mean, if somebody, for example, is sick, how do I know if it's God's will to raise them up? I don't always know that. Maybe it's God's will that they be sick the rest of their lives. I mean, God does things like that. Maybe it's God's will that he heals them. Maybe it's God's will that they die. I don't know, and I struggle with that. I struggle with that. As we look at the Apostle Paul's prayer for the Colossians, we see a prayer that is not general, it is specific. He knew what God wanted in their lives. It's not general. It's a prayer that focused on spiritual blessings, not physical blessings. It's a prayer that was ongoing. It was not a crisis-oriented prayer. And it was a prayer that was definitely God's will for their lives. Paul was inspired as he wrote this and was led by God to pray specifically for God's will for their lives. Now, I think that most believers struggle in their prayer life. We struggle with making time consistently to pray. We struggle with just disciplining ourselves to do it. As Nike says, just do it. That's easier said than done in our prayer lives, that discipline of prayer. But I think perhaps the biggest struggle is this. Okay, now that I've set some time aside for the Lord, now that I am disciplined in this, what do I say? beyond about two minutes. What do I say to God? How do I have a sustained conversation with the Lord? What's the content of my prayer? How am I supposed to pray for others? How am I supposed to pray for myself? I find that so often after a few minutes, it's easy to have our minds wander. I've caught myself praying and thinking, I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't even know what I'm praying. I'm just throwing out cliches. I'm throwing out evangelical jargon. And I think it must be deplorable to the Lord. It's called vain repetition. It's what it is. Now, I want to suggest to you that you can learn to have a rich and spiritual prayer life filled with intelligent things to say to God. Emphasis on intelligent. And with the assurance that what you're praying is God's will. Doesn't have to be a hit or miss type of deal. And the way you can learn this, at least one way, is by patterning your prayer life after the Apostle Paul's 
prayer life. There are many prayers of Paul throughout the New Testament. Colossians tells us his prayer for them, and it's insightful. So this morning, we want to begin to discover. We're not going to deal with the whole passage that I read, but we're going to begin to discover as we go through this. Paul's prayer for the Colossians, we're going to discover three things. Number one, we're going to discover how we should pray for others. How we should pray for others. The way Paul prayed for these people It's a pattern of how we're to pray for other believers, at least. Secondly, we're going to learn how we can pray for ourselves. If you pray this for others, and it's God's will, and certainly it's right to pray for yourself, the essence of this prayer. And number three, to determine what God wants accomplished in our lives in answer to this prayer. Lord, what do you want? All those three things work together. Now, I believe that the key to understand this passage of Scripture, it is not an easy passage to understand as you delve into the Greek language, as you look at the grammar. It kind of looks like a run-on sentence, quite frankly. In fact, it is kind of a run-on sentence. It's not real easy to grasp. It's kind of hard to get the flow of it. But I think that the key that opens the door to understanding this portion of Scripture is the little phrase at the beginning of verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I think that's the key. I think that's the center of these verses. I think everything fits around this concept of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I think everything revolves around this. Paul's request for knowledge, as he prays for them, leads to this, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the results of the answer to this prayer flows out from this. How do you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? So it leads to it, it flows from it. I think it's the center. So it's important that we understand what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? If you miss this, you kind of miss the whole thing. The word walk in the Bible means basically one's conduct. That's not hard to understand. Obviously, not talking about physical walking, but walking implies progress. It implies following someone. It's conduct. It's daily behavior. That's what he's talking about. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord is to conduct yourself in such a way that pleases God in your daily behavior. In fact, that's why he goes on in verse 10 to say, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. It means to live a life That's pleasing to God in your daily behavior. Now, we are not worthy of the Lord. That's not what he's saying. And we are not worthy of our salvation. But we are to behave in such a way that it's fitting for someone who claims to know Jesus Christ. That's basically what this means. And it's one of Paul's favorite expressions. He uses it, or a variation of this, in Ephesians 4.1 speak of walking in a manner worthy of the gospel. In Philippians 1.27 and 1 Thessalonians 2.12, he has variations of this, to walk in a manner that's worthy of God. That's just a heavy concept, but that's what I think the key is, is how do I behave in such a way that pleases the Lord? So if the heart of Paul's prayerful concern for the Colossians is to walk worthy of the Lord in order to please him, then How we do that becomes the issue. How can we walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord? Well, that's what we're going to begin to discover today because there are three key truths about the worthy walk that flow out of this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at the first two today. Number one, the first key truth to a worthy walk. If you want to walk in a way that pleases the Lord, you need to know this first truth, and that is the pathway to a worthy walk is through knowledge of God's will. It is through the knowledge of God's will pathway, the road, the way, the entrance into it, it must go through the knowledge of God's will. Paul begins in verse 9 by saying, for this reason also, 
since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. Let's stop there. We don't want to see yet what he asked for. These are preliminary words. Having told the Colossians that he was thankful for them. Remember we looked at this last week, a church to be thankful for. Paul says, every time I pray for you, I thank God for your faith, for your love, for your hope, for your growth, for your teachableness. Those are verses 3 through 8. Paul now is about to tell them specifically, after he finished thanking God for this church, what did he pray for them? He was thankful specifically for those areas, but what did he ask God to do in their lives? We're going to look at that in a moment, the petition that Paul had. But before Paul reveals the content of his prayer, he says a few words which we just read, and I think they're very helpful for us. It's easy to skip over this and get right to his petition, but let me read this again. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. Two things that stand out. Number one, why he prayed for them. These words tell us why did Paul pray for them specifically? Why did he pray for them? He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it. That's very important. Don't pass over that. He's saying that ever since Epaphras, who was the founder of this church, came to Rome as Paul was in prison there and told Paul about the great spiritual progress of these Colossians, Paul says, I've been praying for you every day. I added you to my prayer list. Now, what does that tell us about who we should pray for? Let me tell you what I think this is really saying to us in terms of application. Much of our praying is for those who are not doing well, right? Oh, pray for me. I'm discouraged. Pray for me. I've got a family problem. Pray for me. I don't have money. Pray for me. I don't know what to do about my job. It's usually people who are going through difficult times who are really struggling How often do we pray for somebody who says, I'm doing great spiritually. I'm growing. I'm in the word. I'm studying. I'm teaching. I'm involved. I'm serving. Yeah, I've got my ups and downs, but basically I feel like I'm really making progress. I'm doing well. How often do we pray for those people? We tend to concentrate on those people who are going through a crisis, and we tend to neglect and overlook those Christians who are doing well in their spiritual lives, thinking they don't need our prayers. They don't need my prayer. They're doing so well. That is not the case. And that is not the biblical pattern. Paul prayed for these Colossians because they were doing so well. You see, those who are doing well in their Christian lives are having the most resistance from Satan. And they're not doing well because they're super duper saints. They're really in the battle. They need your prayers. They may be doing well now, but we want to pray for them to sustain them. You want to pray for those who are godly. You want to pray for those who are doing well. Those who are really not handling biblical truth correctly are absolutely of no threat to Satan. They're not being buffeted at all, generally speaking. We need to pray for both. You need to pray for those who are going through real difficulties, but please don't neglect those who are walking with the Lord. Pray for your Sunday school teacher. Pray for the elders. Pray for the deacons. Pray for people who you look at and you say, they've got it. Actually, they don't have it all together, but it may look like that. But pray for them. Pray for those who you see are making progress. That means pray for your missionaries. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for those who you think don't need your prayers because they do need your prayers. Paul asked many times as he prayed for others, he said, pray for me, pray that utterance would be given to me, pray for me and that I might speak forth the word of God with boldness. So I think that's a great principle who we should pray for, not just people who are in the dumps, people who are doing well and while they're doing well, 
Number two, this gives us some insight as to when we should pray for others. When? Not only did Paul pray for these growing Christians, but he says that we have not ceased to pray for you. What does that mean? Does that mean Paul had plenty of time in prison and all day long he kind of chanted a prayer to the Lord? No, no, Paul wasn't a monk. No, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean Paul never stopped praying. Obviously, you stop praying. You're not praying all the time. You have other things to do. But what it does mean is that he never failed to pray for these Colossians when he did have his set times of prayer. In other words, Paul added the Colossians to his prayer list, and when he met with the Lord for prayer, he always remembered to pray for them. That's what he means. Now, there is a sense in which we must always be in a spirit of prayer, even though you're not praying all the time. There ought to be, with a Christian, a God consciousness that you can go to prayer at any time. Anytime. Anything that comes up, you can immediately shift into a prayer. That's a God consciousness. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. That means, as many people have compared it to kind of a chronic cough. You're not coughing all the time, but at times you are throughout the day. That's what it means. It's a consciousness of God so that you can speak to him at any time. So there's a sense in which we must always be doing that. Always be in a spirit of prayer. But that's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about a set time of the day. Maybe a few set times of the day that Paul met with the Lord with a disciplined set time for prayer. And during those times alone with God, he prayed for the Colossians. We need that. You need that. I need that. I don't care if it's in the morning, in the evening, at noontime. I don't think the time matters at all to the Lord. But it does matter that you get alone with him and you pray for those things on an ongoing basis. And I think that's what this is saying. In other words, there are some things that as we get alone with God, we pray for all the time. Some things never stop. There are crises that come up and you pray for those things, but then they pass. But there are some things that you would never stop praying for. And those are the things that you ought to have an ongoing prayer list and remember those things of the Lord. For example, Paul had a prayer list. Did you know that? As you go through the New Testament, he tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 9, that the Romans were on his prayer list. He tells us in Ephesians 1.16, the Ephesians were on his prayer list. Philippians 1.4, the Philippians were on his prayer list. The Colossians, he tells them. 1 Thessalonians, he tells them that they were on his prayer list. He tells Philemon in his little letter to that man, that he was on his prayer list. So Paul had an ongoing prayer concern for these people. We ought to. I would suggest that you have a prayer list. It doesn't have to be fancy. But what I do, which is helpful to me and might be helpful to you, is that there are certain things that I list under the categories of days of the week, and those things each week, that's what I pray for in an ongoing manner. Now, Depending on the needs that I hear, they may fluctuate a little bit, but they're basically the same. There's a certain day that I want to pray for missionaries. There's a certain day that I pray for our staff. It doesn't mean that if a staff member comes to me and says, I have a specific need, would you pray for me? I say, oh, you got to wait till Tuesday. That's where you pray without ceasing. But I know on Tuesday, that's when I'm praying for the staff, specifically. Tuesday is the day that I pray for the elders. That doesn't mean I don't pray other times for them. But there are certain things that are ongoing. You never stop praying for missionaries. You never stop praying for elders. You never stop praying for staff. There are things that I pray about my family. That's just ongoing. There are things that I pray for my own spiritual growth. That's just ongoing. You never stop. That's what you ought to have. You ought to do that this week. That's something concrete you can take from this passage of Scripture and say, aha, Paul had a prayer list. 
whether it was written down in his head or was written down, he knew that he prayed for these people. You ought to start a prayer list. It's not very difficult. So what was, though, the ongoing prayer concern Paul had for the Colossians? We know they had a concern. We know that they were on his prayer list. But what did he pray? What did he ask God for constantly when he met with the Lord to pray for them? The end of verse 9 says, here's his prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He said, when I meet with God to pray for you, I'm praying that you might be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. What does that mean? What does that really mean? And of all things that he could have prayed for, why did he pray for that? Why did he pray with that terminology, fill with the knowledge of God's will? I want you to remember who he's writing to. It's the Colossians and what their unique problems were. Remember they had some false teachers there who were probably the beginnings of a group later on known as the Gnostics. Gnostics sounding like no, to know. Gnostic, gnosis, to know. And these people said that it's fine that you know some things about Jesus, but oh, if you really want to grow deep with God, you need special knowledge. You need some mystical information. You need some superior knowledge that we can provide for you. And if you are enlightened like us, you'll be deep with God. You'll be close. You'll be tight with the Lord. We'll supply it. So now in light of the threat to the Colossians' minds, Paul's prayer is that they would be filled, which means totally controlled, by the knowledge of God's will. That is to say that they would be controlled by a full and complete and thorough knowledge of God's will. It's as if Paul is saying, I pray that you won't go astray by that silly mystical knowledge that people are talking about, but that you'll be controlled by and totally saturated with an understanding of God's will. Forget that other nonsense. I want God's word to control you. The only knowledge that you need is not some mystical stuff. You need the knowledge of God's will. He speaks about being filled. Basically, that means to be controlled by it. The same word is used in John 16, verse 6, of the disciples were filled with sorrow when Jesus said he was leaving. They were filled, meaning they were controlled by sorrow. It dominated them. Luke 5, 26 speaks about being filled with fear. It means you're controlled by fear. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it speaks of Stephen being full of faith. He was dominated, controlled, saturated by faith. That's the same thought here. You're controlled by the knowledge of God's will. And the word, it's interesting, the word for knowledge in the Greek language is not simply the word. It is an intense form of the Greek word, which means it's a deep and thorough knowledge or understanding. It doesn't just mean knowledge. It means deep and thorough knowledge. Having the knowledge of God's will. That's what he's talking about. Having a deep and thorough knowledge of God's will. Now, God's will, when we hear that, you know, that is not a complex issue, but there are some believers who, when they hear God's will, concepts about that, they say it's hard to grasp. It's confusing to them. It's perplexing to them. They are troubled about it. And I'll tell you why. Because... When they think of God's will, they think only in terms of where I should be. They think only in terms of location. That's where many of us are at. You hear God's will, you think of a decision to make about where to be. For example, should I take this new job? I need to know God's will if he wants me to do that. Or should I move to a new city? 
Or should I attend this school or this church or whatever? It's usually location. Let me give you a liberating truth. I was going to call it a secret. It's not a secret. It's a liberating truth. The biblical emphasis on the will of God, if you understand this, so much will be clarified. The biblical emphasis on the will of God is not on where you should be as much as it is on what you should be. Do you get that? When the Bible speaks of the will of God, the emphasis is not on where you should be, but on what you should be. The where you should be is incidental. The what you should be is the main issue. In other words, the will of God is more concerned about character than about where you do your character stuff. We are to have a deep and thorough knowledge of God's will. Maybe yesterday you thought that was an impossibility. However, as we have seen in today's verse-by-verse program, it's not only possible, it is vital in our faith walk. I'm glad you tuned in to Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. I'm quite excited about this series, The Incomparable Christ. I think we have a great opportunity to grow in our faith walk. Now, I certainly hope you plan to join us for the next Verse by Verse, but if you find yourself hindered, please surf over to versebyverseradio.org and sign up for the Verse by Verse podcast. That way you can listen when it is convenient or go back and review the message you just heard. That's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.